Welcome to our online experience. I'm Pastor Jonathan. Uh, this year we're walking through the Advent. Uh, the Advent, for, for centuries, followers of Jesus have celebrated the four weeks leading up to Christmas. This celebration is called Advent and it reflects on Jesus' coming that first Christmas and anticipates his coming again. Uh, the first week was a reflection of hope and how that first Christmas was the fulfillment of so many prophecies. Uh, Micah was one of those prophets who even in the midst of difficult and uncertain times pointed to a person, a, a deliverer, a Messiah who would somehow bring about better days. The ancient, uh, the ancient Jews had a word that described these better days and they called it shalom. Uh, it's our word for peace. But we have to understand that shalom means more than an absence of conflict. It means to be completely whole, to be fully committed. In fact, it was a, a prayer to have a holy, devoted heart to God. It, it expresses one of the deepest needs and desires of our hearts, a, a life that's complete and whole and at peace. Now, I know some, some may be lacking a sense of peace this Christmas. Maybe you feel empty because of grief or changes or unmet hopes. Uh, we want to invite you to our evening of hope uh, this Monday, um, this Monday night at 6.30 p.m. We just invite you to come. We want to give space where you can find peace in the midst of the struggles and the, the difficulties that you might be feeling. But you see, hope for, for peace, our hope for shalom, it's not just an event. Again, it's, it's wrapped up in a person. This person, this deliverer would come to bring shalom to our lives. But, you know, when would he come and, and where would he come from? And though the prophet Micah lived 700 years before the birth of Jesus, though Micah saw things everyone else wanted to ignore, though Micah lived during unspeakable times of violence and injustice, he gives his people a promise of better days to come. It was a promise of shalom that would come as a person, a Messiah, a deliverer who would bring peace. Toward the end of his writing, Micah is predicting that his city would be besieged and surrounded by the enemy. And then in contrast, assures them of better days ahead. In Micah 5, we read, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Micah writes that even though big, terrible things were about to happen, but he writes that an even bigger, beautiful, powerful, more powerful event would take place in this little town of Bethlehem. But it wouldn't come with marching bands and parades. This event would happen quietly and, and to unlikely people in an obscure little village called Bethlehem. Micah is looking forward to Jesus Christ's first and second coming. The first coming as a baby, born to die for our sin, to set us free from sin and death and experience peace with God. And the second is yet to come, that's Advent. 
This promised shalom would be wrapped up in, in Jesus 700 years later in that small little village. Uh, you might be saying, okay, all that's nice, it's interesting, it happened a long time ago, but man, I'm not feeling much peace. Why does any of this make a difference? This is very important to realize because peace doesn't come from the absence of trouble or conflict. Peace comes from the presence of God, God with us. That's why Jesus' name, Emmanuel, is so beautiful and powerful because our peace is found in God with us, Emmanuel. We, we find inner peace in being reconciled to God today and we'll experience lasting peace when Jesus comes again. I like how one pastor writes it. He says, the divine light will never be extinguished. The joy will never fade. The hope will finally be fulfilled. We will find peace. The king, our king, will come at last. The long-promised kingdom of God will be ushered in and our fervent dreams will be a reality. Peace on earth, goodwill to men will no longer just be a motto on a Christmas card. It will be an eternal reality. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Hey, good to see you this weekend. And uh, if this is your first time checking things out here, we're glad you're here. Hopefully you'll just keep kind of checking it out every weekend. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here. And uh, hopefully you're getting ready for Christmas. Uh, we have some things happening here. Hopefully you can join us for one of our Christmas Eve services. We have two on the 23rd. We have, I think, four on the 24th. Check out our website. Come be a part of that. Love for you. We have something special for the kiddos happening that night. We'd love for you to come be a part of that. Um, then, uh, as well, we have Evening of Hope Monday, uh, and that is an opportunity for those who've lost somebody, and we'll, we'll walk through Christmas with you and just kind of anchor our minds, our thoughts in the hope of Christmas. Right now, conversation is more and more. Uh, we started this several weeks ago, Aiden started it. We're saying we're all becoming more and more something. That means we're becoming less and less of something else. And so we're either becoming more and more healthy and less and less unhealthy, or more and more unhealthy and less and less healthy. You, you get the picture, right? More and more fun, less and less a killjoy, or, I don't know, don't look at the guy beside you, right? More and more of a killjoy, less and less fun, whatever that might be. For John the Baptizer in John chapter 3, it was all about less of me, more of Jesus. Less of me. So that's, right, that's what this is. You, you remember even this symbol in math, right? Less of me, more of Jesus. Jesus is greater than. And we said that a disciple is somebody who loves and follows Jesus, and then it's more and more. That, that's the picture. And so that led us to several foundational, fundamental questions that we've been asking leading up to Christmas. And so if you've been following us, you know this, maybe this is your first time, these three questions, am I loving Jesus more and more? If a disciple of Jesus loves and follows Jesus more and more, am I loving him? And then am I loving who Jesus loves more and more? These words important. Then the final week, am I living for what Jesus lives for more and more? Last week we said, am I loving Jesus more and more? And, and we just ask several questions because in these questions, uh, there are several questions that help us answer this question. First, we said, do I even love Jesus or do I just love what he does for me? And then we asked, do I love Jesus more than these? That's what he asked Peter. Uh, do, do I love Jesus most? Because when I love Jesus most, I'll love what matters more, is what we said. 
And then am I loving him more and more? When I play that game with Jesus, he always wins. I love you, I love you more. No, I love you more. He always wins that game. And so we looked at that last week. Uh, this week, I want to take it a step further. And what's interesting about this week, remember, a disciple is someone who loves and follows Jesus more and more. And this week is connected to last week. You cannot separate the two. The night before Jesus was crucified, he's in an upper room having a conversation with his closest followers. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. John 13 to John 17 kind of tells us about that intimate conversation. And uh, he washed the disciples' feet. That would have been a moment. And then he tells them someone's going to, one of them is going to betray him. So he's going to be arrested and crucified and killed. In the middle of that conversation, he says something interesting. He looks at them after he tells them one of them is going to betray him into the hands of those who would arrest him, try him, crucify him. My children, I'll be with you only a little while longer, right? So he's getting them ready. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you can't come, right? I'm going to leave. You're going to stay. A new command I give you love one another. He doesn't stop there. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then he says, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is how they'll know you love and follow me more and more if you love one another. The two are tied together. The question is, am I loving who Jesus loved more and more? That's the question. <clears throat> because the two are tied together. So you could look at that question and say this, am I loving who Jesus loved more and more? Am I loving, ready? Am I loving? <laughs> uh, you could ask it this way, am I loving others the way Jesus loves them more and more? Or we could ask the question this way, am I loving more and more of the people who Jesus loves? Uh, so we're going to answer all those questions. When I think of this, I think of nicknames. I know, weird way to start, right? Uh, you guys know who this is? Come on, say it with me. Some of you are older like me, you know, right? This is the Lone Ranger, right? And Tonto. Uh, and if you grew up watching this, you know that uh, he was the only survivor of an ambush by a wild gang and uh, Tonto saves him, teaches him, all that kind of stuff. Grows up, be the mask man, silver bullets, and uh, he has a horse named Silver, I think it was. And he was known not by his name. He was known as the, come on, Lone Ranger. It's his nickname. It's how he's known. In fact, you wouldn't even know his name. Uh, this guy, you would know his name, but this guy had many, many nicknames. Uh, some of his nicknames, you could look it up, uh, the Hillbilly Cat, right? <laughs> Elvis the pelvis, but uh, maybe most notably his name is, he's the king of, come on, say it with me, the king of rock and roll. That's his nickname. That's how he's known. Uh, so when you say, hey, who's the king? Or the, I realize LeBron fans, be careful here, right? But, but who's the king of rock and roll? That's who people think of. Or how about this? <laughs> he's got a nickname, right? He's the good-looking pastor, right? The legend of that is either that was in a moment of delirium that he came up with that, but actually we learned a couple weeks ago that it was his way of knocking down walls to build relationships with people. Nicknames are interesting to me, and you might be asking, Dan, why in the world are you talking about nicknames? Because I think the secret, stay with me, the secret to loving those who Jesus loves more and more 
is found in a nickname. It's found in the nickname of the guy who wrote down this conversation in the first place. What was his nickname? Well, if you have your Bibles open to John 13, just kind of look up a little bit. It says this, when Jesus told them he was going to be betrayed by one of them, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. I bet they were. One of them, say it with me, the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. Who is that? Who, who is this referring to? It's referring to the guy writing the book. His name is John. And from this moment on, John refers to himself by this nickname, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it begs the question, is, is John just cocky? Uh, is he competitive? Like, which would make sense. I mean, if you know the story of John, his mama came to Jesus and said, hey, when you come into your kingdom and sit on your throne, can my boy sit on the right and the left? Like, so, I mean, maybe he's like just playing into mom's wishes. Or, or, or maybe he's competitive, and if you know any of the story of this ragtag group of guys that Jesus collected around him, at this very meal in John 13, they're fighting about which one of them is the greatest. And so that would make sense, but I personally do not think this is John being cocky. I don't think it's him being conceited. I certainly don't think it's him being competitive. I actually think the direct opposite is true. I think the more John followed Jesus, the more he understood that he was loved by Jesus. And the more and more John grasped how much he was loved by Jesus, the more and more the love that Jesus had for him identified him as a man. He was not John. He was not simply one of the disciples. Not He was a disciple whom Jesus loved. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. I personally think things started clicking a little different for John this night in that upper room. I think the answer to the question, am I loving who Jesus loves more and more, is hidden in his nickname. He was, say it with me, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the reason I don't think he's being cocky, and the reason I don't think he's being competitive, is that John went on to write another book. It's called First John. And you need to know this, that he wrote the Gospel of John, that's where we're reading the story of Jesus. It's the events about Jesus' life up until about 33 AD. It's, it's one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John wrote another book. It's the letter of 1 John. It's, it's a, we could say it's a poetic sermon by John. He's written to a bunch of house churches. And it was written to churches around 85 to 95 AD, about 60 years after the events of Jesus. And this book is all about, stay with me, guess, guess what it is? It's all about love. God's love for us, our love for others. You see, that's fascinating to me. Because I think the place to begin in answering the question, am I loving, ready, those who Jesus loves more and more, I got to ask, do I, like John, identify more and more with the love Jesus has for me? John identified himself as being loved by Jesus. That is his calling card, so to speak. Hi, I'm John. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
you can see it play out in what he writes. For instance, let's just compare them. In John 13, he remembers Jesus saying, my children, I'll be with you. And he calls them this term, and it is a very unique term that in the New Testament is only used in the book of 1 John, that particular term. But look at how he uses this imagery in 1 John 3. He says, see what great love the fathers lavished on us that we should be called the what? Children of God. Uh, look at this. He relays Jesus saying, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. He said, Jesus taught us by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love me, that you're following me if you love one another. When he writes the letter of 1 John, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love comes from God, as I have loved you. Everyone who loves has been born of God. I should have yellowed this, and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. He's saying loving others is how you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. How are they going to know? Well, it's not the bumper sticker. It's not the t-shirt. It's your love for each other. What he's saying here is you want to know if you have been born again. You want to know if you know God It's going to show up in your love. If you do not love people more and more, maybe you're not rooted in God's love for you. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you know the Bible, maybe you know church, maybe you know religion, but you don't know God. That's what he's saying. Uh, let's look at one more. John 13, he says, As I have loved you, you must love one another. When he wrote the letter 60 years later, looking back, he's like, So we know and rely on the love God has for us, as I have loved you. Can you see, can you see how these go together? We love each other. Why? Because we're loved. Because he first loved us. Guys, here's what I think. I think that that night in that upper room, John 13 upper room, John would have had some things explode for him. I have an idea that he began to understand the secret to Christmas. You know what the secret to Christmas is? That Jesus is God in the flesh. That Jesus, as I have loved you, we rely on the love God has for us. He realized that. I think in the upper room it dawned on John, this is God washing my feet. I think it might have dawned on John, this is God taking communion with us. I think it might have dawned on John when he followed Jesus eventually to the cross, this is God dying in my place. I think it might have dawned on him when Jesus looked down from the cross and he says to John, take care of my mother, that that might have been John's recognition. This is God inviting me in a unique way into his family. I think the more he followed Jesus, the more he knew he was loved by Jesus, and the more he was loved by Jesus, the more and more he loved Jesus. And what he's saying here is that is the secret to loving others. The more we understand we're loved by Jesus, the, the bigger the cross gets, 
the, the, the more we understand that, the more and more we love Jesus. And the more we love Jesus, the longer we follow Jesus, the more we love others. And John went so deep that his primary identity or nickname is, Hi, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. What's your calling card? Like when people meet you. Hey, I'm Dan. I'm the apparently the ugly pastor at the Norton campus, Grace Church. Seriously, what's your calling card? Hi, I'm, I'm Stan. I'm the CEO of and my calling card is all my successes and accomplishments. For some of you, it's not that. You're like, hi, I'm uh, Joe, and, and really, I'm a nobody. Hey, I'm Mary, and I'm just a fill-in-the-blank. Hey, I'm Fred, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, I'm Festus, you know, and I've been a failure all my life. You see, I think what John is saying here is, no, no, when you meet Jesus, when you follow Jesus, there's something that changes because then we know who we are. We are a disciple who is loved by Jesus. It begins to explode and it begins to change. And when you know who you are, stay with me, you'll know what to do. I heard Tony Evans say this once. He says, you expect a refrigerator to keep things cold. You expect a toaster to pop up bread. If a refrigerator isn't keeping things cold and a toaster isn't popping up bread, they are just sitting around wondering what in the world they're there for. In the same way, he said, disciples who are loved by Jesus are conduits, not cul-de-sacs of Jesus' love. We become conduits of that love. We are here to share and spread the love God has for us. The deep love we experience from God runs through us and then from us. The love of God flows through us, doesn't stop with us, but it begins with my identity, my nickname, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You see, am I, am I loving? Starts with the question, do I identify as being loved? Let's keep going because I think that's directly tied to where John wants to go. Because a disciple is not loving, others is like a refrigerator, simply being a kitchen direct, uh, decoration. But he says this, a new command I give you, look, love one another, say this out loud with me, as what? As I have loved you. I think it leads to another clarifying question, right? The qu clarifying question, am I demonstrating more and more of the same kind of love Jesus has for us? He says, just as I've loved you, I want you to love others. Uh, here again, his sermon fills things out. He remembers Jesus saying this. 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. So how, what is that he's talking about? 60 years later, he's saying this is how we know. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters because he told us, I want you to love just as I love. Uh, he went on to say this. He says, if anyone has material possession, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, that's interesting, uses that. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
Uh, guys, I wonder to myself if at that point, when John was writing 1 John, if, if he would have remembered having a front row seat to a story Jesus told. Do you remember the story? Luke chapter 10, Jesus is asked by a religious expert. He's asked a question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And they have this conversation. And basically, Jesus answers lots of questions with questions. And he says, well, what, what does the law say? What is the commandments? And the guy's like, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus is like, you got it. But, but this guy... What, what he was more eager, he was more eager to justify himself. He wanted to, like, I want to make sure I'm okay. So he asked Jesus a follow-up question. All right, the second's love your neighbors yourself, but then he's kind of like, Jesus, like, like, actually, who is my neighbor? It's a great question. And do you remember, Jesus tells a story. It's a story that would have landed very uniquely with his audience. He says there was a man, a certain man, that was walking. And this man, Luke chapter 10, says he was going down from Jerusalem, probably going from worship to Jericho, about an 18-mile journey. And the story, you can check me on this, he was all of a sudden attacked by some robbers. Uh, if I read it right, they strip him of everything he has, they beat him up, leave him half dead. I mean, this would have been a treacherous journey anyways. This would have been a dangerous stretch of the road anyways. And these guys leave him in the ditch, unidentifiable. Uh, as the story goes, uh, thankfully, coming down the way is a priest. Right? Probably getting done with his two weeks of duty at the temple. I don't know. But he gets to the place in the road where the man that's beaten who's almost unidentifiable is, he sees the man and Jesus, as he tells the story, this priest, this man who would have in their culture been justified, he would have been the guy, he actually gets on the other side of the road. Almost like he doesn't see him. If he does see him, he's going to be sure to ignore him. And maybe he's tired. Maybe he just has a place to go. Maybe he has things on his mind. Or maybe it's just like not cool and dangerous. Uh, thankfully, following not long behind is like an intern, so to speak. I don't know, like a Levite. Jesus is telling the story. And so, I don't know, maybe he'll have more time on his hands. Maybe he'll, I don't know. But when Jesus tells the story, he says when the Levite, the guy who's the intern gets to the place where the man's in the ditch, beaten, vulnerable, dying. He walks on the other side. <laughs> At this point, Jesus does something that would have been like fingernails on a chalkboard. He says, but along comes a, ready? Lean in. A Samaritan. The Jews in the audience... <clears throat> Particularly the man he's talking about, and like, you mean those people who intermarried and now there's a bunch of half-breeds and those people that some Jews would pray, God, don't forgive them, the, the Samaritans? Yeah, he comes along. And if I read the story right, this is interesting to me. You ought to check me on this. In fact, I have it right here in my Bible. Here's what it says. When the Samaritan came, he saw the man in the ditch. It says he didn't just see him, but he actually felt for him and took pity on him. He didn't just feel sorry for him, but 
it says this, he went to him. He actually went over to him, and then it says he saw the wounds and he bandaged his wounds. He didn't just bandage his wounds, but he put oil and wine on the wounds. Then he says, put the man. He actually physically put the man on his own donkey. So now he's walking, man's on his donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, after he took care of him, he took out two denarii, two days' wages. Uh, I was reading up on this. I mean, he might have paid for two months of lodging, is what some commentators would say. And he gave him to the innkeeper. He says, look after him. And then he says, That's, I'm not going to just leave you. I'm just like, when I return, I'm going to follow up. I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Then he said to the man, after he got done telling the story, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to that man in the ditch? <laughs> the expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Do you remember the story? That story, I think, sometimes gets misunderstood. The Samaritan is the one who loved his neighbor. Who was the neighbor? Whoever you come along in life's path, he loved the man in the ditch. But I think this story gets misunderstood because the point of the story isn't simply go and do what the Samaritan, go be a good Samaritan. I've heard it preached this way. So just go and do that. I think the point of the story is, is that we, you and I, have an ultimate good Samaritan who rescued us. I think the point of the story is that's exactly how Jesus loves us. That he sees us in the ditch of our sin. That he loves us. That he made the first move to us. And that he leveraged his life to do everything necessary for our healing. And he keeps showing up. I think when he said, ready? I think when he said that I want you to love each other just as I have loved you. Like, it's about loving others more and more the way Jesus loves us. The way Jesus loves others. When I look at the story, here's what I think it means. I think for me to love others more and more like Jesus loves with the same kind of love, means I'm going to begin seeing others. Like, who is my neighbor? Is anybody in my path? I refer back to that story I told last week, that Walter Bittinger story, the final exam that he took, where he, the question, after he studied all these formulas, the question was simply, who is the lady cleaning our building? He had no idea. It's like just opening my eyes to see others, to, to, to see beyond myself getting the focus off me. Sometimes I can be so blinded by me that I don't see others. I think that goes from not just, like I'm going to more and more love like Jesus. I'm going to start by seeing others. But then I'm going to start sympathizing with others. I, I, I'm start feel, the, the word that he had pity on them, the word is his guts wrenched inside of him when he saw the situation. Uh, the Samaritan didn't come upon the man with prejudice, well, you know, you're not one of me. He didn't come at him with criticism. What'd you do to get yourself in this situation? But he allowed himself to identify with the man. Like, if I'm going to love more and more like Jesus, I'm going to see others, and then I'm going to sympathize. Like, we have a, a high priest in Jesus who sympathizes with us. I wrote this in my notes. What irritates me about someone else might be the thing that inspires me about them when I hear their story. 
You see, the problem is sometimes we see people, we get irritated because we don't take the time to understand or hear their story, to have pity on them, to, to, to feel for them. He said, I'm going to love more and more like Jesus. I'm going to see others. I'm going to sympathize with others. But do you see what the man, the, the Samaritan man did? He made the move. Like, like, man, I really feel bad for that guy. I see a situation. I feel bad. Not him. But he actually moved towards. Isn't that Christmas? We have a God who moved in with us, came after us. You know what I think it means to love others as Jesus loved? I think sometimes it means to take the first step Jesus did for us. I think it means walking into the awkward moments, showing up in the silence. I think it means running into the messes, taking the risk, taking the time to listen, inviting them into your life. Like I think to love more and more is to begin by, I want to see others. I want to begin to actually care about their story to sympathize with them in a way that I can move towards them. Didn't stop there, but I think he didn't just move towards him, but then he gave him what he needed. Do you notice that in the story, the Samaritan actually helped him in ways that really, really helped? The Samaritan goes out of his way to truly meet the need the guy had. The guy needed out of his ditch. He needed to be bandaged up. See, the truth is, you and I meet people all the time in physical ditches, relational ditches, spiritual ditches. And, and I think it's you and I making the move. But, but, but we're going to give to them what they need. But, but can you go back to the story? His giving cost him my kindness moving towards them, giving to them, may cost me. Do you know that? Do you know that? You see, I think that's the point here. It, he takes out two denarii, maybe two days' pay, to cover the cost of maybe two months' worth of lodging. And then what I think is interesting is he sees the man. He feels, he, he feels with him. He moves towards the man. He gives even at great cost to himself. And then he says, I'll come back. He does so more and more. You see, is that not how God loves us? You and I are the ones in the ditch. God saw us, loved us, moved towards us. At great cost to himself, he gave his life for us so that that which is wrong with us could be healed, our sin. And he keeps showing up. You see, I think that's what it means. Am I loving others the way Jesus loves them? You see, here's our question. Am I loving who Jesus loves more and more? The first thing is, am I loving? Do I identify more and more with the love Jesus has for me? The second question is, am I loving who Jesus loves more and more? Am I demonstrating more and more of the same kind of love Jesus has for others? Now, let's go back and look at something and then we'll be done. Because I think there's a third thing here.
And I think if we don't go back and see it, we might miss it. John 13, you with me? John's writing this. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved, say that word out loud, you. You. Who's, who's the you? Well, well, that's plural in, in this original. So let's say this. As I have loved y'all. Can you say that? Your best southern accent? Y'all. So you must love one another. That's interesting because maybe the third question that we help clarify this, am I loving who Jesus loves more and more? Am I loving more and more of the same people Jesus loves? So do I identify more and more with the love Jesus has for me? Am I loving others with the same kind of love Jesus has for them? And am I loving more and more the same people Jesus loves? It begins with me, but it doesn't end with me. And there's something interesting here. When he says, I've loved y'all, go back over here, First John, 60 years later, he says, this is how God showed his love among us, plural. He sent his one and only son into the world that, plural, we might live through him. Can I say something that you and I will never understand the love of God apart from understanding the plurality of his love? Can I show you how this picture plays out? This picture plays out this way. Jesus loves me. That's where it begins. But then when I look at the plurality of his love, Jesus loves us. Like you're glad to hear that, right? Uh, it means he loves us. The whole diverse mess of us. The, those who have trusted Christ. God's like a father who loves his kids, all of them. The church is a family. Uh, not just the church, Norton Campus, Akron, but the church of Jesus Christ, a family that's been changed by the love of God found in Jesus. Therefore, love is the DNA of the church. So if you're part of the church, you've said yes to Jesus, you need to know you're part of a family that's bigger than you thought right? Uh, Revelation 7 says there's going to be a day, a big family reunion, every tongue, tribe, nation. It's going to be so diverse. Brothers and sisters from Cleveland and uh, inner city Chicago, Washington, D.C., brothers and sisters from Iraq and Cameroon, Mexico, brothers and sisters from Ukraine and Russia, brothers and sisters from Israel and Gaza. It's like I'm a part of a really big family, DNA is love. I'm part of a family that's more diverse than sometimes I'm comfortable with. Come on, just be honest. Uh, we get really comfortable in, in the church of Jesus Christ with people who are like us, but it's in the family of God, right? He loves his children. That diversity doesn't need to divide us. It's actually what makes the family beautiful. And, and so this family, he loves me, and then I, when I say yes to Jesus, I'm part of the family of God, the church. And that family is known by its love. So that family is known by its giving to each other, by its forgiving of each other. You tracking with me? But there's more. If you remember, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is also the one who wrote these very, very familiar verses. For God, so, come on, say it with me, so loved who? The world. That he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. That's interesting. But what? To save the world through him. For those who are followers of Jesus, can I just show you this? That means this. God loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves them. Like in the family of God, there is no us and them. He's like a father who loves his children, but he's a missionary who loves the world. Do you know that? That he loves the world. In fact, God is and was the first missionary. He is seeking to save the lost. And now that God who loves with a missionary love is, look at what Jesus says, commissioning those he loves. Jesus said, end of the book of John, same writer, peace be with you as the Father has sent me not to condemn the world, to save the world. Why? Because he loved the world. Now I, the one who loves the world, who sent Jesus to save the world, am sending you to be a conduit of my love to that world. You know what? John would have been there, uh, and I think that there would have been something that would have clicked with John. That Jesus loves me. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus loves us. We're the family, brothers and sisters, as diverse as we might be, who Jesus loves. And Jesus loves them. But I don't think he's done. You know what? John would have been there for the famous sermon Jesus would have preached. It's called the Sermon on the... You ever heard of it? Sermon on the what? Mount. And in Jesus in that Sermon on the Mount is almost like a coach who's saying more, more, one more. And Jesus never invites us on to stay on the shore of our comfortability. But he always invites us into the deep, deep waters of faith where there's a supernatural opportunity to see God work. And he said this. You heard it say, love your neighbor. We've talked about that. And hate your enemy. But I tell you, what's it say? Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even tax collectors do that. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think what he's saying is, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves us. I think what he's saying is, Jesus loves them, the world. And Jesus loves even them, my enemies. And for me to grow more and more, not simply to love the way, but the people Jesus loves, is to be identified with his love, to recognize I'm in a family where this trait is love, we give and forgive, to realize that my father is a missionary who sends me as a missionary to love the world. And he calls me even into a radical, deep, deep place where I can begin to experience more and more the love that God has. 
the only way you and I will do this is we begin to identify ourselves in each of these categories. Jesus loves me. He loves me in spite of all that's going on. He loves us. I'm part of a family. And there's diversity. But to someone else in the family, I am a part of that diversity. And Jesus loves them. Every last one of us, at one time or another, was them. Somebody who didn't know Christ. That might be you. Jesus loves you. He came and died for you. But it's not until I see myself and identify with even my enemies that I'll have any ounce of hope to begin loving them. Do you know the Bible says that before you and I come to Christ, we're enemies of God? That means this, that when we say yes to Jesus, he adopts his enemies. He adopts his enemies into his family and commissions them to be his missionaries. Jesus loves even them. All of that makes me think back about John. Do you remember his nickname? The one, the disciple that Jesus loved? And I wonder what that moment would have been like in John 13. As John watched God with skin on come and kneel in front of him and wash his feet. John 13 says that at that moment, Jesus was showing the full extent of his love. I think John felt loved. <laughs> I wonder what it must have felt like as John watched Jesus get up and begin washing the other disciples' feet. They were a diverse group. See, washed Matthew, the tax collector's feet, the guy who sold out at one point in time to the Roman government. And then right next to Matthew was Simon the Zealot, the one who said, come hell or high water, I'm fighting against the Roman government. I wonder what he might have thought when he watched God wash the feet of Peter. The one who would later deny that he even knew Jesus. I wonder if John, as he watched God wash the feet of these disciples, if he would have been reminded, you know something, all of us were them. All of us were them before we were called and said yes to Jesus. I wonder if he would have remembered a short four years before when they were just wandering around doing their thing, fishing and collecting taxes and fighting the government and whatever they were doing. I wonder what would have gone through John's mind when he watched Jesus kneel and wash Judas's feet. You see, the question is this, am I, are you, are we loving those who Jesus loves more and more? And in that question is, do I identify more and more with the love Jesus has for me? What is my calling card? Am I loving others with the same kind of love 
that sees them, sympathizes with them, makes the move, is willing to give even at cost, and loves them more and more. And then I gotta ask, am I loving more and more of the people that Jesus loves? Us? Am I giving and forgiving of the family of God? Them? And the people who don't know Jesus know anything about the love of God because they know me. And even my enemies. God help us, I pray. I pray that you would help us to love Jesus more and more and then to love those who Jesus loves more and more. Some of you are watching this. You've never said yes to Jesus. I want you to know you can pray right there. Pray with me. God, I believe you love me. I know I'm a sinner. Today I confess and believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried and is alive. Today I accept Jesus Christ as the only one who can save me from my sins. I declare Jesus Christ as the leader and Lord of my life, and I'll follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you. I love you guys. Have a great day.